you're tuning in to an episode from Adventure Emerge 2021, the number one entrepreneurship conference for students and researchers worldwide. This episode is brought to you by our event sponsors, Edinburgh Innovations and Vonage. It's giving the people who work in marketing or operations or product the moment when they can feel like they can work with engineers as well, but to build, you know, things that will help the business or rapidly prototype new things. Very excited to introduce uh, Oli Littlejohn, head of community at Codebase, who will be talking about the no-code revolution. The stage is to you, Oli. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, cheers for having me along tonight. Just as a little heads up for those of you who are joining us from around the world, it's, it's bonfire night here in the UK and there are fireworks going off outside and my dog is currently not reacting to them, but there is a moment tonight when potentially she will get very upset and so join in in the talk, but I think, I think we'll be okay. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me along. I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about, I'm going to talk about Codebase first of all, where I work, and then I'm going to talk about no code more broadly, and then I'm going to sort of meld the two together into how I used my experience working in Codebase um, with no code to basically start a business with kind of no uh, sort of no, no investment, no technical experience, no not anything like that. So yeah, I'm going to jump in. So yeah, I'm Ollie, um, head of community at Codebase. You can see this picture of me here where I look significantly less sort of shaggy um, and feral. I think I need to have a haircut at some point soon. But yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, my email's there, or you can find me on Twitter um, at Olafentley. And yeah, so a bit about Codebase, a bit about Swithering. I'm going to keep an eye on time and see whether or not I'm going to do an actual sort of little demonstration of some live no code just for like five minutes or so. But we'll see how we're doing for time when we get towards the end. And yeah. So Codebase, for those of you based in Edinburgh, you may have walked past this building a million times. Um, this is how we started. There was this great big building in the center of Edinburgh that was empty, and we were looking for a place that we could house startups and build a community. And we thought this is right in the city center. It's affordable. We don't know anything about being landlords, but we'll try and figure that bit out. But we had this idea that we could create a space where startups could learn from each other. And we filled up about half of this building um, with about 100 companies pre-COVID. Of course, a lot of them moved out in the last year and a half, as you can imagine. And we expanded across Scotland. We took a space in Stirling and Aberdeen. We built some big partnerships. We work with Barclays very closely to provide mentorship for their Eagle Lab network around the UK. We run programs uh, with Barclays as well and with the University of Edinburgh. All about kind of teaching startup best practice and and really codebase isn't just about the building it's about the community and bringing in people who are interested in startup thinking to learn from each other because if you've started a business you'll know it's really hard frankly um, you can be totally obsessed with your product you know know that you're going to change the world and make something amazing but doing the actual business bit is just difficult so connecting people together to to learn from each other and not just startups but there are people who are thinking like that in corporates in universities and charities, et cetera, and, and working with those folks as well. A big part of my job is is connecting people, either via sort of more open events or sort of just individual introductions. And we connect people to investors and business services, just stuff that you need when you're building a business. And I started out as community manager in Codebase, and I did that for, for five years. And now as we've grown, we have kind of community managers in the different sites. We have online components of the community as well. And my job has basically become to sort of oversee all of that across the, the, the business, making sure that people are getting the most value out of the community. And as you could imagine in the last year and a half, that's been very digital focused, you know, getting people to connect online through events like this and Zoom meetups, but we are slowly moving back to in-person stuff. 
Anyway, the point of all of that is to say that I've spent the last eight years talking to a lot of startups and there's been this one consistent story that I've heard over and over again, which is it's really hard to do a tech startup if you're a non-technical person. You can have the most experience in the world in your domain. You could have spent 50 years, you know, running serviced properties, say, or, you know, working in healthcare or you, you name it. But you have this idea for this, this, let's call it an app. Maybe it's not an app. Maybe it's, you know, just some, some sort of digital tool that you want to build, but it's really hard. And I, I wrote this blog post two years ago, maybe, sorry, well, two years ago, it's right there in front of me, March 20, year and a half ago about what your choices were as a non-technical founder. And really it was to find a co-founder, which is like saying, find a husband or a wife, you know, it's like easier said than done or outsource it, which can be very costly and very you know difficult. You might not get the uh, return on your investment that you want. Uh, or you could learn to code, which I know people who have done that. They've like said, right, I am an accountant, but I'm going to learn to code so I can build an accountancy startup. But that was the old truth and how fast things have moved. Because in the last year and a half, I've gotten just really obsessed with no code and the possibilities that it opens up. Because I think it's kind of a fourth avenue for those founders to think about building things. So broadly speaking, no code is about creating software without writing lines of code as you would traditionally. There is still code involved in it, you know, very under the sort of the surface of what you're doing, but think like visual, you know, it's sort of drag and drop interfaces or like human language that says, you know, when you click this button, send this person an email rather than, you know, typing it all out in code. No, no code is often described as a movement because it's not just about the building tools, it's about you know, empowering people who weren't able to build software before to, to build software. And yeah, so traditionally code looked like this. I, I don't know what this code actually does, to be honest. I just found it on The Economist when I searched for like code example. And for many people, I, I tried to learn to code many, many times in my life I, and I've just never succeeded. Well, it just didn't land in terms of the kind of, I don't know, it didn't work for me. But what I really like is with no code, people are beginning to refer to it as being a visual developer. So rather than typing, you know, lots of code, like I was saying, it's, it's looking at things like as objects that connect to each other visually on a screen. And that's how I kind of feel it works for me. And yet give you an example of this, this is a tool called Integromat, and it looks just like this when, when you use it, you can see quite clearly what is happening with this tool from left to right. You know, the email arrives, it takes some of the information from that email, adds it to a Google sheet. And then takes the attachments and either posts them to, I've got a little cursor actually. Yeah. There you go. A little blue cursor and either sends them to Facebook. So it sends them to Facebook and it sends them to an archive that's stored in Dropbox. And it does that all automatically. So you don't have to do it manually, which I'm sure if you've worked on social media, you've probably done something like this a million times. But it's just a nice little automation that keeps you, keeps things moving. I, I call this stuff operational, no code. Um, I do a lot of this as part of my day job in Codebase, where you can take a bunch of tools, kind of name a tool really, and get them talking to each other. So here's something that we use in Codebase. And here's an, an example, actually. What happens when, something I really hate is when we have to post events, we have to post them in like five different places. You know, we have our event, right? But then we have Squarespace. We use Mighty Networks as our internal comms tool. We also have Slack for the community. And so I built this little automation that basically says, when we post an event in Eventbrite, add that event to our internal uh, community tool, Mighty Networks, then take that content from Mighty Networks and post it in Slack. And it just saves a little bit of time when it comes to you know my day, basically. But I think perhaps the more exciting thing for the audience today is about that kind of building of 
MVPs and prototypes and, and beyond, frankly. I'll come back to whether or not we're still building MVPs with this stuff in, in a wee bit. This is the selection of tools that you can use right now. There's, there's more than this at this point, but I think you'll have come across some of them. You might not even consider things like uh, Squarespace, say, up at the top left here, or MailChimp no-code tools. But really what they're doing is taking a visual interface and attaching code to it. So MailChimp you know, is a, is a mailing list tool. You drag and drop elements, and it generates the HTML and CSS uh, to send to people. Same with Squarespace. It generates HTML and CSS and JavaScript behind the scenes using drag and drop interfaces. And you can do all sorts of things. You see, you can build mobile apps. Full disclosure, I've not done that. Bits of automation like we talked about, even sort of things like chatbots and, and you know voice things. And what I'm going to focus on mostly today is the top left bit, websites and web apps specifically. And I guess kind of want to give you a lay of the land of five of these tools that you might have come across because you have tools that let you build websites, things like Squarespace and Wix. And if you're firing up a new business, like say a traditional business, like a, a bakery or a restaurant, you would just create a website in Squarespace in you know, a couple of hours, drag and drop some images, put up your menu, that kind of thing. And I think you, know, you used to have to pay a developer quite a lot of money to do that. And now you can just do it yourself. I, I, it's, it's really easy to use as well. Like you, you, it's quite hard to mess up the design or the usability of it, which I just think is great. And it's a great place, great place to get started, but it's really just building websites. There's no interaction uh, with them or, or very minimal interaction. As we move to the right on this scale, uh, towards a sort of difficult and dynamic end, um, these tools start adding more and more sort of app functionality. So Soft is perhaps a great example because it takes an Airtable, which is just a, a spreadsheet, basically, you know, an Excel spreadsheet, but a little bit prettier, and it turns it into an app. And you can build really, really powerful tools in such a short space of time where it's just like, okay, the database needs to be displayed in this way on this page. And, and people have made some amazing stuff just with software in, in a very short space of time. But I think the the sort of creme de la creme sort of, if you want complexity is, is bubble right now. It is a new skill to learn. I'm not saying it's something you can pick up straight away. Unlike Squarespace and, and, and Wix and things like that, it's which you can learn pretty quickly. Bubble does require some input of time, but really you're building actual functional web apps like Airbnb or you know, Deliveroo or, or MailChimp even. Um, and I think it's kind of amazing what you can do with it. Yeah, so I'm going to focus mostly on Bubble today just because it's where my experience lies and I think it is the most powerful um, tool out there. So what I love about it is you can look at any of these apps that I'm sure you'll recognize at least a couple of these. And Bubble has the capability to build something like one of these things. Maybe you want to build a niche version of Eventbrite, maybe it's only for, you know, it's a ticketing tool, but it's only for, I don't know, I was going to say gigs in living rooms, but that's sofa sounds, right? That's taken. I don't know. It's, you know, there's like unbundling of these ideas into smaller apps, say. But Bubble, if you go onto their website, has pages where you can just like build Airbnb without without writing a line of code, you know, like you can just, and, and when you finish this tutorial, which only takes a few hours, you're not going to have Airbnb, but you're going to have something that is actually not far off the functionality of it. Just just minor digression. I don't work for Bubble or anything. I'm not getting commissioned from them for this. I just think it's a it's a great tool and it's a good place to start with no code. And let's let's actually take a look at Airbnb for a second because I'm gonna steal a a, a metaphor from my colleague Stephen Drost. I, I do this a lot for this these kind of talks that I really like thinking about no code as kind of a new constellation built out of existing stars of products that you can just kind of take and drag together into a new new sort of format. And so say if you wanted to build Airbnb with, with Bubble, Bubble would let you create the front end, the experience that you want your, your users to have, you know, everything from 
the button color down to what information they give you and you know how they're updated and yada 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 but then you'd use a tool like like Zapier that I mentioned before that automates some of the stuff behind the scenes and maybe it fills up your Airtable database like just to keep your your data in kind of a, a clear format you might want to use Google Maps if you're building Airbnb so people know where they're going I guess or Twilio it lets you send texts to people like Congratulations, you've booked a house. And then you can use things like Stripe and HubSpot uh, for kind of behind the scenes stuff like payments and your, your, your CRM. And I mean, even Stripe is amazing because it took me a couple of hours to set up the first time I used it like, with no knowledge at all. And I was able to just take money off people on the app that I built. And it was kind of a just an eye-opening moment to be like, oh my God, if someone puts their credit card information into this, then they'll give me money, you know, which is which was pretty cool. And yeah, I I get a lot of sort of questions around, you know, do people kind of believe in no code, like in a kind of broader sense, because it feels like what you're building might just be like prototypes or MVPs at this stage. But this is my kind of main example of how it's just not true anymore. That this company, a Dividend Finance, they built a website entirely with Bubble, no code tool, and went on to raise $390 million for their company. Their company provides, helps you get financing for like solar panels and things like that. But through their bubble built website, they processed over a billion dollars of solar panel loans and all, all just, just using bubble. And I just think that is astonishing, you know, that people are really, really buying into this. It's not like you're building a proof of concept and then taking it to customers and sort of, okay, cool. That worked. We're going to get some investment and build the thing again with code. It's really like, you know, a functional thing that you can sell and grow a company with. I, I suggested the other day, kind of accidentally, that no-code tools were just for prototypes and MVPs um, to the founder of Softer, uh, the, the other app I mentioned. She got really annoyed at me. She's like, what are you talking about? No, it's, that's just not true anymore. You know, we're, we're seeing people building apps with like millions of entries in their databases and, you know, they're running perfectly smoothly as you would expect, you know, an app built with codes to run and I just think it's like okay yeah fair enough and yeah let me let me just quickly tie together those two things of we have code base where I work with this kind of community side of stuff and no code and me like code base is my my kind of full-time job and, and I love working there but I it's hard to spend your life like surrounded by founders and startups and not want to do your own company as well and when I heard about no code I thought okay I need a project to start this thing off because it's easy to just go through the tutorials and not actually build anything but We've used a bunch of online platforms for communities, um, like Mighty Networks I mentioned before, but things like Circle, Discord, Slack, and things like that, and never really liked any of them. So I thought, right, I'm going to build a community platform with no code. And I wanted to be like a minimalist no code platform, like kind of stripped back. Um, and I did, basically. I started in, I think, about a year ago, actually, around about November, I think it was. And over the course of a couple of months and about 80 hours of work, I would say I built a perfectly functional, you know, 99% functional web app that people could sign up for and communities were using. And, you know, I was getting great feedback from people about, and that was in my spare time, like for, for context, you know, I, I also have a, a young daughter as well. And like, I, you know, my evenings are generally kept very busy with, with family life, code base people to be very busy as well, but I would kind of hack away a couple of hours here and there and just you know, keep trying to build the product, adding a new feature. And after about 80 of hours of that kind of just playing around in my spare time, I did have this product and, and I loved it. It was, it was, it was a great product in my opinion, but I took it to about 15 community managers and I said, Hey, do you like this? You know, would you use this? Give me some money. And they said, it's great, but we honestly just use Slack. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, so do we in Codebase, actually. So what if you were to take your Slack credentials and use them as the authentication to get into the community portal? And it just came up as this idea of like, Slack is great, but it's missing a whole bunch of features. And people told me these features that was missing in those interviews. And I wanted to build something that kind of worked to take Slack, which is a great communication tool, but add on things like, you know, events, automation, a, a wiki that only the community can access and like simple member profiles, because you can't put up profiles about yourself in Slack on the free version. And I, I kind of love the new version of it as well. Like I'm, I'm still taking it to people and people are still setting up and you know, trying it out, but it, it was just this kind of real amazing moment to realize in that kind of constellation metaphor that I can just actually take what I had built with, you know, all of those tools that were mentioned and just sort of add a new star in of Slack and be like, right now Slack is the authenticator. And it took me a couple of months to learn about APIs and things like that, but eventually I had built this thing. And I guess the lesson there is that with the first version, you know, this, um, just simple community management tool. I could, in theory, if I had perhaps had more hustle or hated my job, have gone out and raised a load of money, paid a uh, developer to build this, built it over the course of six months to a year, and ended up finding out that no one wants it. What Bubble let me do was over, you know, a few evenings a week and a couple of months, build this thing myself, you know, and take it to people and then realize, okay, it's not the thing, but maybe this is the thing. And yeah, I just think it was just hu a hugely empowering moment for me as a non-technical person who I feel like I have ideas, you know, and maybe this isn't the one, but I will maybe do something else in the future, but I can build it. It's not going to get to the idea stage and I'm going to hit that brick wall of being like, what do I do now? And so, yeah, with this final bit of this part of the presentation, I just wanted to say like, if there's any kind of next steps you're interested, you want to start learning this stuff, then do just like find something in a tool and start building. I like bubble. It is quite. Um, intense to start using. It's got quite a sort of complex graphical interface, but the community are really great. So do connect with them, go onto their forums. Like if you have any questions, they're so helpful. They like, they want you to succeed. It's, it's really lovely. Come to some no code events. I'm organizing one at the end of November on the 23rd, you can come for free online. And you know, there's a, a great online community of people who are running events with like Webflow or Softer or, or Bubble and things like that. And I guess this is a bit more of a vague one, but as no code is coming more into the mainstream, and I really think we're very early on in the, the adoption of it at this point, there's going to be loads of opportunities with it and people aren't taking them right now, in my opinion, especially not in Scotland. One thing with bubble is that design, you suddenly realize that you are not a designer. Like, you know, if you start building a website without kind of the, the, the guidelines that say Squarespace gives you, you're like, oh God, this looks terrible. And my websites, it's like one bit of feedback I get from everyone I do a demo for, they're like, so are you going to hire a designer? at any point, which hurts. But, you know, if you're a designer or interested in design, learning no-code tools is something massive, you know, to, to partner with people who are building things that work well, but look terrible. No-code agencies, again, in, in, in Scotland, I don't think there are any, you know, very few in the UK, like people who can build stuff very quickly, automate processes, like there's a huge opportunity there. If you're looking to start more of a, a service business than a product business, that is like, ripe for the, the the plucking there like i would certainly you know be considering doing something like that if again if i didn't love my job yeah i think it's uh it's a, a huge thing that, that people could take it and yeah i guess my my final point i have to add this kind of warning almost um every time i give a talk about no code which comes from my day job and talking to loads of startups that it, you know things like market validation 
things like talking to your customers and like asking yourself, is this something the world needs? That stuff all comes first before building. It's so easy to dive into just building something without like considering, you know, should you be building it? But I, I, I think the great thing about no code is that it gives you a moment to actually build the thing. Once you're like, you've got that conviction, you're like, okay, I've, I've spoken to 20 customers. I understand what they want. I'm going to build the first version of this thing. And yeah, so I think that's the end of this bit of the presentation. Let me kind of, how am I doing for time? Sorry. Yeah. So a lot of presentation you're doing uh, well on time. We have a couple of minutes left. I would say 10 minutes for, for Q and A, if that's all right, or did you, did, did we miss anything? Well, so, I mean, the only other thing I can do is like, if you want, like I can, I think it's easy for me to talk about this stuff, but when you actually see it, like it gives you a kind of impression of what, you know, what you're actually doing with a no code tool. I could very quickly do like a five minute demonstration yeah. of how that looks. If, if you think that would be of interest. Yeah, uh, that's fine. That's perfect. Yeah. So I'll, I'll show you very quickly, like this is what bubble looks like. So you load up a project and this is actually a sort of joke. A definitely a joke project that I made for another talk I gave where if you, it was basically a two-sided marketplace for like, if you needed a doctor. So, you know, I have an injury, I'm going to put my injury into this like gum tree type interface and hopefully a doctor will get back in touch. That slide with like Jeff Goldblum on saying, should you build this? That sort of, you know, should be raising a red flag here of, you know, I don't think that, that the world needs this thing right now. I think there are better ways to contact doctors, but as you can see, on, this is the kind of main interface. All of these elements, it's drag and drop, like I was talking about. It's not like you're coding in HTML or CSS. You know, you can, you can move things around. I'm going to sense that horizontally again. You can add bits of text, you know, like, I don't know. Again, I'm not a designer, like, you know, I'm aware of this. You can add buttons, shapes, images, inputs as well. So, you know, if you want to get people's stuff for signing up, then you can just drag and drop, like, Maybe you wanted to get another bit of information about someone, then you'd have another input here saying maybe their, their location, I don't know, the city they live in. And that's all pretty straightforward. I think that's pretty easy to understand how that interface works. But with Bubble, the key difference between it and other things is this bit here, the workflow area. So this button wouldn't do anything unless you created a workflow for it. And when you click it, what it'll do is give you this option of like, what do you want to happen? So I want to sign the user up. I want to take their details, put it into my database and give that user the ability to log back in. So once that user is in the database, you could create a button that says login. When that user comes back, they could log in with an email and a password. Like, okay, that's fine. But then you're saying, what do you want to happen next? And here I've got a bit that says, um, go take them to the page where they can upload their, uh, their injuries. They need a, a doctor for, or <laughs> see the injuries that are, um, are currently needing a doctor. But say you might want to also have something like send an email to that person, you know, saying thanks for signing up to the to the website. You can also send meeting requests, mess around with the data, like change information about a person, you know, go to different pages, update, you know, if you need to do like password resets and things like that, that's all built in. You could take a payment. It would be weird to take a payment at the sign up page, but you know, I don't know what your app's gonna do. And loads of other things. There's this sort of huge ecosystem of plugins like that. Constellation metaphor, you know, you could have it then say, send the information to HubSpot to save, you know, information about that person, <clears throat> add a listing to Google maps or, or things like that. And, you know, this is the kind of behind the scenes page where once you've logged in, you'd be taken here and it, I'll, I'll actually show you, this is a, a live website. Like, so this already exists in the real world. I think if you went to this link, you know, you could actually sign up for this, this thing, 
um, and it does it all automatically. Like whenever the, the test version, you update anything, it takes it there, there um, immediately. But you know, so on this website, oliveratest.com, and see it obscures my password. It, it never stores anyone's passwords. Like you, you'll never know a person's password, but quite a nice little bit of security there. And it takes you through to a very simple marketplace page where you can either upload some information about yourself, a description of the injury, an image of the injury, or you can see the current injuries that are you know, up there. So if I was to go up here and say, you know, put all this data in and then click add, this is like the worst designed page ever, sorry. Then you could see a list of current injuries. If they have an image, there's an image. If they have a, you know, a description, then it has a description. And if you think about this as comparing it to like Airbnb, the next step would be that you add like filtering tools here. I'm looking for an injury in Edinburgh. I'm looking for a property in Edinburgh or Glasgow or wherever. I'm looking for a place that has an image or doesn't have an image. And you can do all of that to create quite a dynamic experience for your users where they can see very specific information in, you know, with, with you giving them the permission to control, which I think is very cool. So yeah, dragging and dropping interfaces, nice kind of human language that says like when the button add is clicked, create a new injury in the database. And you know, the image for that injury is, is the uploader. And it's just kind of a very nice visual way of understanding what the code is doing behind the scenes. And yeah, with that, I think I'll stop sharing and just see if there's any Q and A. Thanks a lot, Oli. That was a really great to have also a visual of your uh, bubble. Uh, yeah, we have uh, quite a few questions actually. So I'll try to get through them. Uh, one is the startup is on OpenAI and they're one of their new products, Codex, and also the notion around their generative models for language and code um, that are able to actually generate code from, from text input describing, uh, you know, how the application should look like or what functionality should have. And what do you think about these types of advancements and whether you think it's just the hype or if it's sustainable, you know, it will be sustainable in the future? It's, it's hard to tell. You know, I, I Googled like... Um... Google Trends for no code just before giving this talk. Cause I was like, actually how, you know, how, how much has this come up before? And actually no code like spiked in like Google searches 10, 15 years ago. So there was an initial version of this where it was like, it probably was overhyped and it was like, you know, it didn't really pan out as a useful thing. I, I love that stuff like about websites generating, you know, code from like natural language. Cause that's not far off what Bubble is doing. I mean, my my own Bubble apps are set up where all of the like data is has very human names to it, like stuff that I will understand. So it means that you know it's it's constantly referring to things in like almost a full sentence, not quite, but it's kind of the reverse moment of that of saying like I want to be able to say to my computer, you know, if someone clicks the sign up button, get their password and their email address and their name, and then take them to the next page and it's not hard to believe that that would be that far off. I don't want to overhype stuff like that because it's not really my kind of you know area of expertise. But I think this version, this stage of no code is is like it's reaching this kind of not maturity, but a stage where it's actually being taken very, very seriously. Like the, the investors putting in nearly $400 million into a bubble website, you know, that was huge. Bubble themselves just raised $100 million of investment, which is actually kind of cool because they, they bootstrapped pretty much the whole way up till now. Like they're like five, six years old. And yeah, they, they just did a very, very, uh, you know, clever, clever company. Yeah, very impressed, definitely. And also now that we're talking about Bubble, there were some questions on that and maybe also the disadvantages because 
Pablo, as on, on its own, is a sort of a vendor with its own kind of opinionated platform. And what are the risks around the vendor lock-in? You know, when you build your whole app, and especially if you have a very complex UI and you want to maybe migrate to a different uh, tool or, you know, you need to actually implement into code if you have to actually start from scratch again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that uh, risk? That uh... It is one, like, basically. So you can't, there is no um, escaping, like, bubbles lock-in or any of the tools. Like, once you start building with them, like, you're kind of locked into using them unless you want to start from scratch with a different tool or coding it. There is one instance where Bubble said they would release the code, which is if they went bust. They've said that, basically, if for whatever reason they can't sustain the business, they will release the source code of all of the websites to the owners, you know, just because they don't want to, like, people to, you know, feel like they just kind of lost everything. But I, I guess it kind of reminds me of Codebase's experience of using HubSpot as a CRM, where basically HubSpot as a tool really locks you in as, as a CRM. Like once you start using it, you're kind of stuck using it for life. Um, and so we didn't use it for like seven years from when we started. And it was only when we started using it about, you know, nearly a year ago, we realized just how useful it was and like, wow, we should have started using this seven years ago. <laughs> I think that the true, the same will be true of these these tools like Bubble. You will realize, you know, you can just start building and you will get locked in. But Bubble is actually a very cheap tool. Like it costs like thirty dollars for the, a month for the basic version of it. So, and that would allow you to build a company that is pretty profitable. Like I know people who have like millions of database, you know, items on that plan. And I think it's it's something you want to be nervous about, but you know, a little bit to understand that you will be locked in, but. The thing that consistently amazes me about Bubble is every time we think there's something it can't do, like, you know, there's a moment when it's like, no, nah, this is just a no-code tool. I'm not going to be able to do this, you know, fun little thing that I want to do. It let I, I figure it out and it's like, I can do that thing with this. So I've never reached a point. There's been one thing, one tiny little thing, like feature that I wasn't able to implement. But every time I feel like, oh no, I'm going to have to hire a coder and build this thing. And I'm like, actually, no, I can do a workaround or fix it. And I think it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, but, but in terms of vendor locking, it seems that other tools uh, that have emerged maybe after are sort of kind of trying to bridge that gap. Software, for example, um, and also there are other tools uh, like software that are based on Airtable. Mm -hmm. um, so they all work with a kind of common sort of database. And in a way then, if you wanted to migrate your app, you could still use the same data model and data and then connected to a different front end, you know, what, what, have you had any experience with software or these types of tools? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love software. In fact, we, we teach software now as part of our creative accelerator at Codebase, like, because I think you can get such quick reactions with it. Like after in like two hours of using it with no, like, you know, technical ability at all, you can basically build an app, which is, which is cool. But, and I agree, like with the, the cool thing about software is, is all your data is in Airtable. So in yeah. fact, you could take the data from that Airtable and connect it to your Bubble app in the future if you wanted to. But with Bubble, I think it's just the complexity. Like, so the workflows that you build, everything that you kind of add on, which you own yourself, by the way, with Bubble, maybe a side note here, like the platform itself, obviously they own, but anything you build on it, like the workflows and IP around that, you you own as a person, which is, which is great. But the stuff that you build in Bubble in terms of the you know, if this happens, then this thing should happen. It's just much, much more complicated than software. You know, the, the ability to create complex web apps is, is much greater, but I love software as well. I just think it's, yeah. Yeah. But actually also it turns out actually most web apps, actually most things that people build, uh, boil down to just like four operations, like 
creating data, reading data, updating it and deleting it. And, and so like, so the only thing you're really doing is sort of interacting with the data in your database. So in a way, if we can actually just be able to define the data mode, like this is uh, for Airbnb, these are the customers, these are the listings, and then you can, uh, you know, uh, kind of manipulate the data and then from then on generate the data. So in a way, most apps are very similar in, in how they work. So, and, and, and building an app is then more kind of reinventing the wheel in a way. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, um, yeah. it's like you said, it's all just playing with a database. You know, I, yeah. when, when I teach bubble, I quite often show just a Excel spreadsheet with the data in just so people understand what it looks like. Cause it is, it's basically just a very complicated spreadsheet and displaying it yeah. in the right time to the right person, you know? Um, yeah. And so we have another question here, um, in the chat, uh, do you think, uh, that this no code development will eliminate coding or development no. <laughs> like i think yeah this is i think sometimes like no code i think gets like the backs up of developers because they're like whoa 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 are you coming for my jobs so there will still be a huge need for developers and in fact i know a lot of developers who use no code and you know traditional development skills alongside each other to you know build something very quick and sort of messy with no code and then build something more robust with with code but i think especially in that constellation metaphor we're always going to need developers building the stars, you know, you can't build Stripe or Bubble with no code, although yeah. Bubble to proudly show that their website is built with Bubble, but the actual <laughs> is you can't build that, you know, with a tool like Softer or Bubble. It's like, it's too, it's almost quite meta, you know, like mm -hmm. you build that stuff, the building blocks with code, you know, and all no code is doing is kind of taking those building blocks and putting them together. I'm doing like a different metaphor now, sorry, but yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I think we'll always need kind of engineers building the, the, the stuff at the, the kind of foundations. Yeah. But also in this kind of no code revolution, there seem to be also different kind of aspects or components of it. One is obviously the notion around code for people who are not able to code. There's this kind of language barrier or technical barrier, but then there's also no code is actually being used by developers who know how to code. And they use it more not because of the language barrier, but more as a as a, a kind of method for kind of iterating much faster, or to not have to reinvent the wheel. And that's maybe also not limited to UI tools, but even like a software frameworks that you know help you actually uh, you know remove boilerplate and develop much faster than you were before. And it seems the no code review sort of is a union of these different aspects of it. For sure, yeah, no, and I think I think there's a a tweet that does the rounds every now and then from like no code enthusiast about how, how no code is basically empowering like five times the number of people in your organization to make software, you know, so it's not about just removing the need for software engineers. It's, it's giving the people who work in marketing or operations or, you know, product or, or whatever, the moment when they can feel like they can work with engineers as well, but to build, you know, things that will help the business or rapidly prototype new things. So yeah, I think it's very, I was on a talk the other day where someone referred to no code people uh, as citizen developers, which I quite like, you know, it's like anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, but actually, uh, um, to touch on what you mentioned with the internal teams, uh, uh, also tools like Retool have uh, kind of gained a lot of traction in the, in the last years, because obviously companies have a lot of internal processes and in the past it was all done with spreadsheets that so you had to actually dedicate engineering resources to these internal tools, but now they're not, they're not only empowering people actually to build products, but also actually entire teams and organizations to optimize processes and 
things like that, which which could make a difference to the success of the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think two of the tools we use most in Codebase, where I don't think you'd even think of them as, I mean, you would think of Notion as a no-code tool, but like, you know, we use Notion and HubSpot a huge amount for, you know, just our day-to-day -day business operation and HubSpot, like, and Notion both, the automations that you can build on top of them are just massive. Like Hub, Notion released their API, you know, a few months ago, basically. And HubSpot has really robust automation tools built into it. And it's just like, I love it. Like when I see someone on a team who has built like a new thing, you know, and they've just sort of gone in and they've said, right, well, I have to copy and paste this information from here to here every day. Why don't I just create a thing that does it automatically? Or even, even like a Slack bot, I find like, in these times when we have to rely on so many spreadsheets for information on notion pages, or we all have loads of data online, we need to reference having that information sent to Slack where I hang out all day and people can build those bots themselves now. Like, I just think that's, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So to, to wrap up, actually, we have, we don't have a question here, but a statement <laughs> someone says, has anyone told you that you have such a good radio voice? <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, thank you. I, you know, I've got a little bit of a cold right now, so I can feel like my throat is like a bit, maybe that's why, maybe it's because it's gone a bit of gruff, you know? Yeah, but thanks a lot for, for your presentation. We're talking, I think it was uh, super relevant also for the audience, as we can see with all these questions. Um, thank you. No, no problem and at all. I, I love talking about this stuff. So thank you for inviting me. <laughs>